Maybe you've heard of Slack, but what is it? Slack is your new HQ. One place for everyone at your company to find answers, share updates, and stay caught up. Slack, where work happens. Get started at slack.com. My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramerica. Other people want to make friends? I'm just trying to make you some money. My job is not just to entertain, but to educate, teach. So call me at 1-800-743-CBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. Okay, it's finally happening on an ugly day where the Dow lost 71 points, the S&P plunged 0.53%, and the Nasdaq plummeted 1.13%. Wowza! They jeweled that NASDAQ. The market's finally reacting to the glut of new IPOs that are weighing on the averages like a steamer trunk on the investment public's back. I take no joy in this, but I told you so. All year I've been predicting that the IPO cycle would end with a whimper. And now it's here. Busted deals like Peloton on the heels of Smile Direct and Lyft and Uber. They're booing, are becoming the norm. I think there's a big reason why this market keeps getting hammered. Especially the turbocharged growth stocks. Oh, boy, did you see them today? It's, yeah, it's gotten to the point where I hope the president actually follows through with a threat to block more Chinese IPOs, if only because so many of them have been unmitigated disasters for their investors. I know chatter about some limitations on Chinese investments by the president caused the market to get hit today because anything that's not flat out suggesting compromise indicates that we're much further away from a trade deal than the bulls had hoped. As someone who wants the Chinese to play fair, I think a ban on Chinese IPOs would be a blessing. But after Stiffy Ren, that's not what's in the card from I can tell. Uh, it turns out the, the talk is really about limiting American investment in Chinese companies. And it, it's not as sweeping or as negative as the market seems to believe. Look, the White House isn't happy with American pension plans, especially federal pension plans, having to add lots more Chinese exposure, which is what's recommended right now by an alpha called MSCI, which is the keeper of the international index weightings. That's what all the big funds follow. The administration doesn't want Chinese listings that lack the same kind of transparency as American companies. And it prefer investors not to buy the shares of companies with opaque financials that Mao would no doubt like. You know, to me, I think it would be simpler to ban new Chinese IPOs here altogether. But that's not in the cards right now. That's not in the cards, despite the fact that you may have heard that this afternoon. It's just not true. So, candidly, if you sold stocks on those rumors, in retrospect, it was ill-advised. I only took about four hours working on that one today. Unfortunately, we won't be catching a break from something else, though. A continued deluge of new American-style deals next week. When I look at the IPO calendar ahead of us, you know what? It makes me sick. I mean, we've got five money-losing biotechs on deck now. The company all the other money-losing merchandise has been pumped out of us lately. Don't you feel like that when you're in this IPO moment? You, what you really are, you're like Gandy Dufresne going through that pipe, right? I mean, Wow! You know exactly what I'm talking about. I'm talking about Shawshank. 
Yeah, these deals are designed to rip the money from your portfolio. You know what? No, I have a better movie imagery. I have a better movie imagery. What this is like is Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom when they reach in and pull your heart out. Kind of. All right, the clothes rack that is Peloton was a straw that broke the IPO Campbell's back this week. We all knew the shoot had effectively been closed for money-losing companies. But their underwriters didn't seem to mind. <laughs> uh, that may be changing. The only encouraging sign of the, uh, this hideous moment was when an alpha called Endeavor, where my agent works, pulled its IPO. They got horse sense. How and why did they do that? Simple. Because unlike most of the junk that is being pumped out now, Endeavor actually makes a lot of money. So they didn't need any of this stuff. They were hoping to use their stock as currency to buy other companies. But when they saw the state of the IPO market, oh, they said, hey, to hell with it. Endeavor didn't want to be lumped in with the Pelotons of the world. Uh, the, the company uh, brought in $500 million of earnings before interest taxes, depreciation, and amortization last year. So they have no urgent need to raise capital in spite of what you may have read or whatever. I mean, I'm glad they chose not to swim in the IPO Gowanus Canal, which, for the record, was a very odd blue color the other day. Interesting. Blue. But, you know, kind of blue like, I don't know, like a crayon, like cerulean. Now, now, from this point on, you can't afford to own any of the newly minted money-losing IPOs because what you'll do is you'll lose money. You'll be living here. The house of pain. And I know they may have some potential for incredible growth, but the market doesn't want that anymore. You see what it did to all the high-growth stocks today? See, we're in the wrong stage for the business cycle. In fact, the only deals I want now are deals where raising money is a secondary concern. In most cases, these companies are desperate to do some fundraising. I want you to stay away from them. Can you imagine if that WeWork had come public and then we discovered what we found out? Can you imagine? What a travesty. Government, would you at least try to protect us? All right, with that in mind, what can we expect next week? On Monday, we hear from Thor Industries, and that's an RV maker. There was a time a couple of years ago when millennials loved camping, and Thor looked like it was going to be a big winner. But then labor costs went up, raw costs went up, and the customer interest went down. The next thing you know, it's a serial disappointer. Early last year, this stock stood at 161. Now it's at 49. I don't want to be too tough on management here. This is not unique to Thor. The whole camping cohort's been crushed. If there's ever going to be an upside surprise here, it's going to be in this quarter because interest rates have finally gone down. Uh, for now, though, I think it's too risky. Thor needs to deliver at least one quarter, please, uh, of good numbers before you have my permission to circle back. Hey, listen, if it goes to 60, but it's really going to get it together, you got plenty of time. Tuesday, one of my absolute favorite supports, McCormick. And you know what we know McCormick as, okay? Uh, it's the spice and hot sauce company. And this is the best, by the way, this particular version. Now, its stock was hammered today in very little volume. If it keeps falling on Monday, you know what? You're going to get a good opportunity to buy this thing. I mean, Cormac's one of the few companies in the supermarket that's got real growth. Next up, the market will, uh, will this market ever really embrace high-flying growth stocks again? Sometimes it feels like they'll never bounce back. But the pendulum has swung too far. Right now, we're in the pit, and we need some signposts to figure out when things are swung too far. Which brings me to Stick Fix. Stitchfix is the online subscription service that regularly sends the uh, shipments of apparels, accessories, and shoes. Think of it as the style as a service business. SAS! Stitchfix reports after the close Tuesday, and while it's profitable, the price earnings multiples are absurd. Of course, expensive valuations never seem to matter to the stock until June. Since then, it's been jeweled. It's going from 32 to 18, despite there being no real negative news. That's what, that's what happens, though, when you go out of style on the Wall Street Fashion Show. Watch how this one behaves after the quarter. It could be crucial 
to be able to give you a sign that this craziness toward high growth is over. How about Wednesday morning? Well, then we get results from Lenar, the big home builder. Given that housing has become the brightest spot in the economy, it's no wonder that Lenar is up 40% for the year. Housing's responding to lower interest rates. Shocker. So if this stock gets hit uh, on the quarter, call me a buyer. After the close, we're going to find out if Bed Bath & Beyond can pull out of its extended multi-year tailspin. Now, the active investors are now in control. <laughs> Good lucky. But this, this stock's been a nightmare for ages for anyone who's touched it, except if you're Target, because they've been a fabulous share donor to any Target that's nearby. That said, Bed Bath finally looks like it's kind of sold out. Notice the bottoming pattern this week? Let's hear what they have to say before you try to pick at this one, though. Maybe what I'll do is I'll use that for off the charts next week. Let me noodle. Thursday, we get results from three terrific companies with stocks that have been performing well ever since the rotation to the safety plays got rolling over the summer. I'm talking about PepsiCo, Constellation Brands, uh, that's in the morning, and Costco for the close. I think PepsiCo is exactly what works in this dicey environment. I'm looking for 5% organic growth and, a re- and, a, and recognition that I'm sorry that I've been drinking so much Diet Mountain Dew lately. Constellation might help us understand its cannabis strategy. They took a big position to now only cannabis growth. Not to mention, please, have something to say about Spike Seltzer, which is the hottest part of the alcohol uh, market. And I got to tell you, I downed a couple of them yet the other day thinking that they were just club soda. Wow, I was flying. Ryan. All right, how about Costco? Now, this stock's been, uh, it's been up for ages, which is why it is the C in Watch, which is my acronym for Walmart, Amazon, Target, Costco, and Home Depot, which I'm sure some joker in childhood is going to make an ETF and give me nothing. Lately, though, Costco's fallen from 307 to 286. Maybe that's not enough punishment. I don't know. I expect one more leg down before the stock's safe to buy. So maybe we get some downtime here, and then you get to buy Costco after it has come down. Uh, what a great pickup. Boy, Costco, owning Costco and PepsiCo, I think, are two antidotes to this market. You know what? Finally, on Friday, we get the Labor Department's non-form payroll report for September. And as always, this is the most important piece of data we get from the government. Employment's been strong, but now everyone I know is acting like, a good, like the good times stop rolling. I don't think that's the case. I expect another good number, which may make it difficult for the Fed to uh, give us another rate cut. What would be best for the stock market? We need a labor report that's not too hot and not too cold. That way the Fed can cut, but no one will freak out because the data is terrible. Here's the bottom line. I know it's been rough, but last week this market got, was really overbought still. And when you're overbought, you tend to get hit with sell-offs. Exactly what I told you would happen is happening. That's why we raised a lot of cash for the trust, especially when we're being flooded with shoddy IPO merchandise, which, by the way, they should stick it with caveat emptor. And you can't. These aren't vacuum cleaners. I think we need some more downside before I'm really ready to get positive. But after waiting for the market to come down, some segments are getting very tempted, but not the money-losing, clothes-hanging Pelotons of the bunch. Dimitri in New York. Dimitri. Yes, sir. How are you, Mr. Kramer? Couldn't be better. Thank you for asking. What's going on? That's great. Well, I'm just, I just got to tell you, first of all, I love your passion for the stock market. And more importantly, I love that you don't ignore the obvious. So my question is this. Align Technology. It's a great company. ALGN is a ticker. It's doing well. Yeah. It's profitable. What should I do here? Because the the, the market reacted to a low guidance for Q3, and I'm not uh, I'm not sure why. Right. Just checking my new investment book since we're also fixated. Um, and and uh, I, I got to tell you, I think Align's dicey here. Smile Direct's doing so badly. I'd say you cut your losses. Uh, as Mal said. Align technology is too high, according to Marxism and Leninism. 
Okay. Sorry to break it to you, but I think we need some more downside before I'm ready to get positive. Only anybody tonight, as investors turn away from domestic biotech, is it time to consider pharma bi- uh, pharmaceutical stocks that are from overseas? I'm giving it my take then. Boom, chicka pop. Boom, chicka pop. Because, man, that bag is heavy. Slim Jims. I actually like the new kinds. And Hungry Man. My favorite snacks to healthy choices. Conagra Foods is behind some of America's biggest brands. Can it offer up a hot meal and a hot snack? <laughs> I'm buying the company of earnings. And it's the company leading the fight against high prescription drug costs, and I use it. And it's coming after you, Mr. Prescription High Price. I'm talking to the CEO about its foray into telemedicine and ready clinics, or kind of, you know, like hospitals and stuff. Stay with Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at cnbc.com or give us a call at 1-800-743-CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. This CNBC podcast is brought to you by TD Ameritrade. Investing isn't one size fits all. Every investor has a unique style. That's why TD Ameritrade offers two different mobile apps. There's TD Ameritrade Mobile which lets you manage your portfolio with streamlined simplicity. Or Thinkorswim Mobile, which gives you tools you need for more advanced trades and in-depth analysis. Visit tdameritrade.com apps to find the one that's right for you. Once again, that's tdameritrade.com apps. For the last year, most of the domestic pharma and biotech stocks that have been you know what? Uh, they've been dead money, right? Investors are paralyzed by fears of lawsuits. Oh, tell me about it. The potential for new legislation that might crack down on drug pricing. In fact, it's been going on even longer than that. Over the past four years, the whole group is measured by the IBB, uh, iShares, NASDAQ, Biotech, ETF, and the Invesco Dynamics Pharma ETF. Can you believe this is what they've created and this all does matter? Well, it's been hammered. Biotech down 4%. Pharma down 19%. Well, the S&P 500 is up 53% of the same period. You know, I run a, a, a charitable trust, actionlearnersplus.com. We, we try to be diversified, but every time we try to do pharma, it's, it's been terrible. So what do you do? What should you do? Should you completely abandon the drug stocks? Get your health care exposure from less precarious parts of the sector? I mean, like the medical, medical device makers, they're doing better. No, no. I, you, don't mind, you don't need to give up on the whole complex. Right. But you do need to get more selective and more creative with these stocks. For example, last Friday, I told you to keep an eye on AbbVie. I said I liked it because of its process of acquiring Allergan. I'm betting that deal has a lot of potential. Did you notice that AbbVie was up more than 3% this week? Thanks to fresh upgrade from City yesterday, and it was a really good piece. And now I've got another way to approach this group because I've been mulling over them, but then Stoto mulling over and mulling over. I said, I got to find a way to give people farm exposure with less risk. If the domestic drug stocks aren't working, how about this? How about the farm? drug stocks. As it turns out, many of the foreign pharmaceutical names are performing a lot better than the domestic peers. The three that jump out at me that we're going to talk about right now are AstraZeneca, GlaxoSmithKline, and Novartis. Now, I think some of that may be because they, we, they have moderately less U.S. exposure than their American counterparts. So something like a Medicare for All or even price controls of drugs would hurt them a little less. I'm not saying they have no exposure, but I'm not saying they have more exposure. It's just a little better. But when it comes to these three companies in particular, 
particular, they've each got something going for them right now that allows them to throw off the gravitational pull of the pharmaceutical sector and allows them to rally. Let's start with AstraZeneca, which I haven't thought about for years because it was such a dog. This is a big British uh, pharma company. If you're worried about developments in the United States, AstraZeneca gets less than 33% of its sales from here. That's substantially lower than most American drug companies. And if Elizabeth Warren wins the presidency in a landslide, allowing her to implement a single-payer healthcare system, a lot of investors are betting that European companies like this one, AstraZeneca, will have more expertise at dealing with it than their American rivals. Now, that might be a stretch. All the big pharma companies are global operators. But something like AstraZeneca has marginally less exposure to America and marginally more experience navigating healthcare systems that have price controls or single payer. Now, earlier this month, JP Morgan hosted a conference call with Pascal Sorio. He's uh, AstraZeneca's CEO, where he laid out the bull case for his company. I found it very compelling. It goes like this. They've had a bunch of positive clinical trial results that will allow them to launch some potential huge new products or expand existing products into the new markets. Now, you're going to have to forgive me because I'm about to go into the world of pharma mumbo jumbo. They've got Tagriso. That's a treatment for non-small cell lung cancer. They're negotiating reimbursement rates with China on this one. And if all goes well, it could be very lucrative. Unfortunately, China has horrendous numbers of people with this disease. Then there's Imfin-Z, which is a monoclonal antibody drug that's also used for lung cancer, where they're expecting some label expansion. Right now, it's only approved for use after chemo radiation. You've got Linparza. That's an ovarian cancer drug that could work also for prostate cancer. AstraZeneca's also uh, got Farziga, which helps low blood sugar levels in patients with type 2 diabetes, also being studied for uh, heart failure and chronic kidney disease. Look at this, some lineup, huh? Oh, and they've got uh, Calquence. Uh, this is a mantle cell lymphoma treatment. They recently received breakthrough therapy uh, designation from the FDA and uh, other really terrific data. On top of all that, AstraZeneca has some late-stage pipeline candidates that could have enormous potential, like Roxadostat for people with anemia caused by chronic kidney disease, or anaphrolamide for lupus and other anti-immune conditions. Meanwhile, sales for these incredible drugs ramp. AstraZeneca has gotten aggressive about keeping its costs in line, and management sees their margins going higher. After years of investing in its pipeline, those moves are finally paying off, hence why the stock's up 19% year-to-date. I think AstraZeneca is a tough touch too expensive. I remember it used to have an 8 multiple. Now it's got 22.5. But it's got 3.1% dividend yield, which makes the pill easier to swallow. And can I just say that I remember meeting with management years ago, and they kept telling me they were going to have all these great cancer drugs, but it takes so long to develop them. Well, guess what? They're here. Next is GlaxoSmithKline. That's another gigantic British drug company. It gets just 39% of its sales from the U.S. I've been a fan of this one ever since we sat down with Glaxo's new CEO, Emma Walmsley, at the beginning of the year when we were at the J.P. Morgan Healthcare Conference. Walmsley has a brilliant plan to transform GlaxoSmithKline. She's been divesting Glaxo's more commoditized businesses and investing heavily in fast-growing new areas like oncology. For example, back in December, they bought Tesaro. That's a biotech focus uh, on cancer. For $5.1 billion, and they agreed to spin off their consumer products division and merge it with Pfizer's. At the moment, Glaxo is stuck in kind of an in between state, a transition year, as it works to complete these major deals. Or at least that's how it looked a few months ago. But then the company reported a better than expected quarter in late July, dramatically raising its full year earnings forecast. Plus, Glaxo has at least five high profile drugs in phase three trials that could potentially become blockbusters over the next few years. Put it all together. 
And I'm even more bullish about GlaxoSmithKline than I was in January when I was kind of blown away. I said, holy cow, why am I overlooking this one? This Glaxo's got a lot going for it. Oh, and with the stock selling for less than 14 times earnings, I'm calling it a steal. Plus, Wamsley's paying you to wait 4.8% yield. That's a good investment. Finally, how about one my charitable trust is buying? And we talk about it for the club, FractionalOnsPlus.com. Novartis. It's the gigantic Swiss drug maker with only 34% exposure to the American market. Okay, just like Glaxo, Novartis is trying to transform itself. Under the leadership of CEO Bas Narasimhan, the company has shed its consumer businesses, even spinning off its uh, over-the-counter eye care business as Alcon in April. We told, we told you we liked that one. At the same time, Novartis has been snapping up smaller companies that are pioneering new technologies, like Avexis. That's a gene therapy play they bought for nearly $9 billion. Now, in July, the company delivered much better than expected numbers. 8% sales growth on a constant currency basis. Core earnings per share up 20%. These numbers trounced Wall Street's estimates, uh, thanks to the strength in Novartis' psoriasis, heart failure, and oncology franchises. On top of that, Novartis also had some big product launches coming up, including a major breast cancer treatment. Now, there is one fly in the ointment that I think is holding the stock back. Last month, the FDA rebuked Novartis for failing to disclose that the newly acquired Avexis had been manipulating data on its big new gene therapy. Novartis has denied all wrongdoing. They've already fired everyone who was involved, and it sure seems like this gene therapy is still very much on track to be approved. But this was still an ugly headline. While I don't like it, it's not a deal breaker for me. It might be for you. I trust Voss to do the right thing. You may not. But I don't know. We have to just go with our guts here. Fortunately, those not so hot headlines mean you can buy Novartis at a discount here. Stock trading at 15 times earnings. Sporting a 3.2% yield. That's why we picked up some Novartis earlier this month for the trust. And you can follow along if you're worried about the lawsuit. We're following it very closely by joining the ActionAlertsPlus.com club. And we're sending out bulletins regularly about where Novartis is with this problem. Here's the bottom line. If you want big pharma exposure with fewer headaches related to U.S. politics, you could always buy a well-run foreign drug company. These are all three are terrific. AstraZeneca, GlaxoSmithKline, and Novartis. All three buys. Stick with Kramer. This CNBC podcast is brought to you by TD Ameritrade. In unprecedented times, access to the right information can help you make better informed investing decisions. That's why TD Ameritrade is committed to providing a range of relevant educational content, like timely articles, informative webcasts, and access to daily live market news, so you can stay on the path to becoming a smarter investor. Learn more at tdameritrade.com slash market hub. TD Ameritrade, where smart investors get smarter. How do you know when a company that's been struggling has finally gotten its groove back? That's the question we need to ask about ConAgra Bands, simple C-A-G, CAG. That's the big packaged food maker that you know as Chef Boyardee, Hebrew National, Orville, Redenbacher, Bertoli, Pam, Slim Jims, and a host of other brands like you see on this table. Roughly a year ago, ConAgra completed the acquisition of a company called Pinnacle Foods for nearly $11 billion in cash and stock, picking up a big portfolio of frozen foods, especially vegetables. But two months later, management slashed their forecast, explaining that Pinnacle was in worse shape than they thought. While they told us these problems were fixable, they also explained that it might take more time to iron things out. That's really the last thing you want to hear two months after a company closes on a major acquisition. And making this kind of announcement last December, when the whole market was melting down, let's just say that wasn't the 
best timing. And as you can see, the stock got just obliterated. It was a very disappointing day. I know I was very down when it happened because I really like these guys. Once 2019 rolled around, ConAgra was able to rebound from 21 at the end of last year to $31 at its highest in April. Since then, though, the stock has stalled out. Even when many of the packaged food names got a kind of a new lease on life over the summer, ConAgra kept trading sideways in a pretty tight range, just not doing anything of much. Stuck in, let's say, the high 20s and low 30s range, in part because the company delivered some disappointing numbers in June. Which brings us to yesterday morning, when the company reported again. Oh, this time the pressure was on. A lot of people were betting on a major, major letdown. Others thought ConAgra would finally get its act together and hit a home run. Instead, you know what we got? I would call it a mixed quarter. It was better than feared, allowing the stock to rally 3.7%. Okay, so it wasn't a home run. But there was more good news than bad. I mean, you really drill down. I found the results. I found them very encouraging. And when you consider that ConAgra gave up most of of yesterday's gains today, well, you know what? That makes me think that we have a real opportunity next week because this number was better than people realize. Now, I've been a fan of ConAgra for a while now, even though the stock hasn't really worked out as an investment, at least not since the Pinnacle deal. For example, in April, the company held a bullish investor day where they laid out some optimistic long-term targets, forecasting a nice uptick in organic revenue growth from 2020 through 2022 and some significant margin expansion. You always want to see that when it comes to food companies because they can't grow uh, like a tech company. On April 15th, we spoke to Sean Connolly, ConAgra's CEO, and he told a pretty darn good story. We got a great portfolio. We've got the right people, the right culture, the right processes, and importantly, the right capabilities to continue growth and continue expanding our margins. We have built significant innovation capability over the last four years. You can see a lot of it here, and it's really exciting. As for the problems of Pinnacle, Conley assures us that they were uh, turning things around, unleashing a deluge of innovation that would turn all of those newly acquired frozen food brands around. But then Conagra reported in June the numbers, frankly, were just disappointing, to say the least. On top of that, management slightly trimmed the long-term earnings forecast. We're talking two cents per share here. So even though the actual guidance for 2020 was encouraging, Wall Street's response was incredibly negative. Once again, the darn thing, it fell 12% in a single day. And while it bounced back from its sell-off pretty quickly thanks to the rotation of the soft goods stocks, I think Conagra would have rallied a lot harder if that quarter had been better. What was management's explanation for these suboptimal numbers? They pointed to good progress on the integration of Pinnacle and said they'd seen strong trends in frozen foods and snacks. In other words, their plan was working. Boy, do these millennials love the frozen foods. Just incredible. Conagra's got a good handle on that. But as Connolly explained on the conference call, much of our progress was overshadowed by transitory events, including intensified promotional competition in certain categories, several isolated manufacturing-related challenges, and weak performance in our Arden Mills joint venture, end quote. Basically, he said it's temporary, and that's why ConAgra raised its full-year organic revenue forecast. Now, if Conley's assessment was right, we'd see some evidence of that in the next quarter, and we finally saw that in the quarter that was just reported. Again, though, mixed bag. I mean, it's a mixed bag. I'm not going to fool around. I mean, it's a bag, but it's a mixed bag. On the one hand, the revenue number was just plain disappointing, coming at $2.39 uh, billion. Wall Street was looking for $2.48 billion, so that was a shortfall. Uh, organic sales down 1.7% year over year, not good. While refrigerated and frozen foods were strong, grocery and snack sales took a big hit, down 3.7%, thanks to tough competition for Hunts and Chef Boyardee. 
Meanwhile, Conagra's Food Service International Division was down about uh, 3%. I got to be honest, those were some ugly numbers. But thankfully, there's better news once you head further down the income statement. Conagra earned 43 cents a share when Wall Street was only looking for 38 cents. Operating income, EBITDA, the net, net income, all better than expected. So even though the company's sales were substantially weaker than expected, the earnings were fantastic. So how the heck did they pull that off? Simple. Sean Conley was telling the truth when he told us that he had the pinnacle problems well in hand. It turns out the Conagra is now ahead of schedule when it comes to realizing the cost synergies from the, from the pinnacle deal. Everything that seemed to go off the rails last December is now back on track. Basically, they could deliver a terrific earnings beat because they took the biggest worry off the table. They're finally making the Pinnacle acquisition work, and it's paying off in a major way. And if you look at their approach to Pinnacle, I think it's pretty encouraging, too. As Conley explained on the call, they're shooting for value over volume, meaning that not all sales are created equal. Some are a lot more equal than others. That means eliminating weaker product lines to focus on newer ones with more potential. This is how Conagra turned itself around a few years ago before Pinnacle. And, they, and, and Conley says they're now seeing the same pattern at the legacy Pinnacle business. This is what he knows what to do. While they have fewer products and less shelf space, so these products they do have, well, they're flying off the shelves. Wow, that is some powerful popcorn. This is an approach that worked again. It will work. It worked before. It worked. Oh, I'm sorry. Um, the three key brands for Pinnacle are Wishbone Dressings, Bird's Eye Frozen Foods, whatever, uh, and Duncan Hines. They're already turned around Wishbone. Now Bird's Eye and Duncan Hines are, are stabilizing. I, I criticized them. I said, look, no one's made a Duncan Hines cake since my mom in, in 1963. He says it's back. Conley predicts they'll improve substantially in the second half of the current fiscal year. This year that starts uh, one quarter from now. So despite that shocking revenue shortfall, there was a lot to like here. Plus, it didn't hurt that Conagra reaffirmed its guidance for both the full year and the longer term period through 2022. In other words, management believes that shortfall was temporary and they can turn things around over the next few quarters. And I'm a buyer. In short, the positives from this quarter were a lot more important than the negatives. When you consider that Conagra sells for just 13 times earnings, that seems very cheap to me. I don't know about you. And they have these really, you know, this is a brand that I use all over the place. Bountiful 2.8% yield. I think the stock is worth buying here, especially after today's pullback. So here's the bottom line, okay? When is a mixed quarter not a mixed quarter? When the company in question takes the biggest worry off the table and delivers major progress on the most important part of the story. That's what Conagra did yesterday. The comeback in their legacy pinnacle business is starting to remind me of what Dollar Tree did with its Ailey family dollar business earlier this year. I bet Conagra can deliver the same kind of turnaround. These guys are too seasoned to not get it right. Yeah, man, they got they got. Powerful popcorn. Jordan in South Dakota. Jordan. Hey, Jim. Thanks for taking my call. Of course. I'm looking to buy Archer Daniels Midland. Um, I'm looking at them because they have a good dividend and have grown yeah. it consistently. Um, I'm wondering if you think, uh, since they don't have uh, pricing power, uh, that this could compress their margins. Do I think they don't have pricing or? power. You're right. I think the margins are going to be under pressure. I think that the company has been a serial underperformer for many years. And I'm just not, you know, look, do, do they have decent dividend at 3.4? I can get that from a lot of food companies. 14 times earnings. I'd rather own ConAgra, frankly, even though they do have, you know, some of their popcorn feels like a brick to me. How about Brian in Texas, please? Brian. Booyah, Jim. Booyah, Brian. 
Wanted to get your thoughts on Brinker, ticker EAT, as a stable dividend stock, and also thoughts on how it stacks up to its casual dining peers. All right, well, it's casual dining peers. I actually had now that Darton had that quarter that was considered to be subpar, that I didn't think was that bad. I think that's come down in price to be a better bargain. who has got better uh, growth than Brinker. Brinker's fine, 3% yield. Last quarter wasn't that bad, but I do prefer Darton now that the stock has come down. Okay, the pressure was on ConAgra this last quarter. But you know what? I think it's getting its groove back. Much more made money at. Hey, GoodRx is positioning itself to be a, more than just a coupon clipping site. Tonight I'm talking with the CEO of the company to find out how it's changing the way you visit the clinic. Then, looking for an edge in investing? I'm eyeing the odds-on favorites to start a new position in the Dow. And all your calls rapid fire in tonight's edition of The Lightning Round. Stick with Kramer. You know, earlier tonight I talked about how drug pricing issue has been weighing on U.S.-based pharma companies. But obviously this has only become a problem because many drugs are simply too darn expensive. While politicians talk about this issue, right now there are real companies that are trying to solve it or at least do some harm reduction. Take GoodRx, the privately held company that's number six on CNBC's Disruptor 50 list. These guys do something brilliant and simple. They have an incredible app that lets you compare, shop, medication. As it turns out, there's enormous variation in what pharmacies actually charge, and using GoodRx can help you find the best deals. Now, earlier this week, the company took the next step, launching a new service called GoodRx Care that does the same thing for medical services. One of the biggest problems with healthcare in America is there's no transparency, which allows hospitals to price gouge you or your insurance provider. GoodRx is trying to solve that problem. So let's take a closer look with Doug Hirsch. He's back, the co-founder and co-CEO of GoodRx, to learn more about this new service and what it means for the industry. Mr. Hurst, welcome back to Mad Money. Thanks for having me again, Jim. All right, so, Doug, I, let's say I go to a hospital. I would like the system to not be ripped off. I don't want to be ripped off. But if I'm blind to it, why do I need this service? Because I don't feel the pain. Yeah, you know, what, one of the amazing things about American healthcare these days is there are often huge gaps in care. You know, there can be up to a 30-day waiting list for, or a wait time for someone to get to the doctor. And oftentimes on a night or a weekend or something like that, you're looking for basic medical services. And one of the things we heard from users at GoodRx was they just wish they could get to a doctor in an affordable and convenient way. And we wanted to provide a service that was easy to use and, and so that anyone could use it with or without insurance. Well, I tell you, within my neighborhood in Brooklyn, after the big hospital closed because of the usual money considerations, I've got, and we just literally counted them, 10 ready clinics. And every one of them charges a different price. Would I be helped by GoodRx to find out which guy is the best guy? Because the variations are extraordinary. Yeah, I mean, you've, you've hit the nail on the head. GoodRx is a marketplace, and we're a marketplace of prescriptions. And now, with GoodRx Care, we're a marketplace of both you know, prices for medical care, and we're even offering medical care through GoodRx as well. So we've got more than a dozen conditions on GoodRx Care that are just 20 bucks. So it should be a price that anyone can afford. And then we also, prov- also provide discounts so that a consumer can get very low-cost generic prescriptions and really treat that chronic or acute condition easily and quickly and consistently. Well, I'm going to ask something that sounds pretty oxymoronic, but why isn't everybody doing this? 
You know, there's lots of folks that are looking at various forms of telemedicine, whether it be like video telemedicine or some folks are focusing on like elective things. We wanted to hit basic services that all Americans need. We wanted to be able to come up with a product that was so easy for a consumer to use. You know, if you have two jobs or you've got kids and you just can't get out to the doctor's appointment or you can't wait 30 days to, in a waiting room, we wanted to just have an easy solution that anyone could use to get quick care of the most pressing things that affect millions and millions of Americans so they could stay healthy and stay out of the hospital. All right, so what do, I do? do I download an app and it prints out a coupon? Like, the, I mean, what is the process? Because I want everyone to do this after this interview. It's really easy. If you just go to GoodRx, we'll show you all the services that we have. Again, they're all just $20. And we also have an app. GoodRx has an app. And then Hey Doctor, the company acquired, also has an app. But if you just go to GoodRx Care or, you know, GoodRx.com slash care, you can very easily find all these services and literally within, you know, a very short period of time have a, a visit from a board-certified physician. And if a prescription is necessary, we'll literally send you a prescription to the pharmacy near you along with a GoodRx coupon. All right, you know, Dougie, the reason I'm, I'm, I'm so pro you, candidly, is that in uh, 2017, I spent $5,000 getting a particular drug that was actually should have been much less, but that's what it cost. I used you in 2018, and I looked at my bill before I came in, and I paid $1,200. The only difference was I used GoodRx, which is why I said I can't believe others don't. I frankly didn't believe it, Doug. I didn't believe you could do it. It seems almost like a... It's like fantasy land. How do you do it? Yeah, I mean, sadly, um, you know, insurance is not what it used to be in this country. And even people with insurance are often paying way too much for their prescriptions. I just saw a report the other day that the average American family is paying $20,000, they and or their employer, to just get basic health care coverage. And then there's deductibles and all sorts of limitations on insurance. And so we basically went out to the pharmacies and said, can we do better? Because pharmacies don't want to charge this extraordinary amount, uh, but they have all sorts of limitations because of this system, that, that, so they can't actually discount themselves. And as we talked about last time, really, if you just work with a pharmacy and use a service like GoodRx, you can present these coupons and get prices that are often far lower than insurance. Well, everybody, uh, everyone accepts my GoodRx coupons but, uh, in New York, but are there areas where people just say, I'm sorry, I don't take it? We work at virtually every pharmacy uh, in America, uh, all the major chains, every pharmacy you've heard of. You just simply download the app and just show the coupon, or you can also print it out online, bring it to the pharmacy, and you get that price. It's very simple. Well, I, I want everyone to, I mean, look, all your, I'm asking people to save the system and save themselves money by listening to what Doug Hurst, private company, says at GoodRx. Again, I thought it was too good to be true, and then I saved $3,800. That's real money, man. Thank you so much to Doug. Great talk to you, as always. Good to see you, sir. Thank you so much. Guys, it's real. I mean, you, you ought to, it's a private company, but you've got to do what he said, okay? I didn't believe it. I didn't believe it. And then I saved it, and I, it's incredible. And money's back in. Subjectively, they too want everyone to take a hint. Oh, excuse me. It is time! It's time for the night round! Kevin Dillard, writer, Rob Falco, one of the champions, and and then the lightning round is over. Are you ready? Skate dash over the lightning round. Let's start with Mark in your Mark. Hey, thank you, Jim. What do you think of Nokia? Nokia? No, come on, man. We can't. Unfortunately, my buddies who quote from the chairman say that Huawei stuff is better and cheaper. So there's nothing we can do. How about we go to Mark in Colorado? Mark. Hi, Jim. It's uh, Grand Canyon Education, L-O-P-E. 
Oh, the private education. You know, I'm not a fan of those stocks. I think you got to stay away. It's still got an 18 PE. It's going back down. It's got we are you? What are you guys putting me in remonstration prison with this? I need to go to Jim in Massachusetts with Jim. Yes, Jim. Thank you for taking my call. I'd like to ask if you could comment on two points regarding Emerson Electric symbol EMR. Okay, Emerson Electric, uh, D, what, uh, D. Shaw decided to take an activist position in Emerson. Holy cow, David Forrest doing a good job, but maybe it's time to make some moves. So I've got to tell you, I think Emerson can go a little higher, but it's not exactly the stock I want to buy in this environment because I don't like the industrials that have a big link to China. Trevor in Kentucky. Trevor! Booyah, Jim, for Jordan Howard and them Eagles. Calling in from Tedderville. Jim, Planet Fitness, 33 cents a day. Them boys are knocking down RSI 27 we going into the We to stay away from Planet Fitness. You know why? Because Peloton's staking up the joint. And we don't want to go near that health care area until all the sellers of Peloton are done. And then we can circle back to Planet Fitness. And that, ladies and gentlemen, of the Lightning Round. The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. The market has suddenly turned really, really nasty. It's kind of a slow rolling nasty. Many stocks are still so close to their highs that you feel like a real chump buying them here. So why don't we do this? Uh, I'm going to tell you how you can tell when a decline is is really creating bargains and when it's really just creating, let's say, uh, fugazis. That's my new word for it. Uh, let me walk you through some of my favorite companies in the Dow Jones Industrial Average, show you how it's done. This is what you would do at a hedge fund or a mutual fund. Uh, it, it's just it's kind of a check down approach. Best performer in the Dow this year, Apple, up 39 percent. But Apple's only off about 3 percent from its highs. Oh, that might be tempting in a different environment. But we're back in hostage land when it comes to the trade war with China, especially with some new investment rules that could hurt China. They mused about right now at the White House, the story I broke at the top of the show. So once again, I say own Apple, don't trade it. In this case, that means don't start a new position. And at this level, I don't believe the negotiations with the Chinese are going to be magical. And that means you can be patient. Let it come in. Next is my Microsoft. Now, Microsoft's up 36% for the year, but it's only down 3% from its high. To me, that's just too, too close to that. There's no compelling reason to say, right here, right now, I want to own Microsoft. Three, down 3%, what's that? Or right, how about Procter & Gamble? This is up 36% for the year. It just made a new uh, all-time high today, uh, yesterday. Does that make it tempting? Not to me. To me, it feels like an accident waiting to happen if you buy it at its all-time high. If you buy Procter here and it drops two points, you'll be frozen. And you'll be talking about how you top-ticked it and you had a bad day and you'll kick it out and you'll take a loss. You never want to feel like you've come in at the top of it for a big run. It messes with your head, makes you way too vulnerable to, to uh, potential disappointments. Remember, this is a psychological piece, not more than it is, say, a uh, mathematical, arithmetical, or financial piece. So now, same goes for uh, reasoning for Home Depot. It's up 34%. It's right at the top. We get one nasty analyst note, and this thing will come down at least three bucks, maybe five. While I'm a huge believer in the despot, as you know, the stock has gotten darn close to the high. Well, let's say the stock today was pretty high level. You know, we sold some this week for the trust. You can read about that by joining the ActionAlertsPlus.com club. Where we laid it out. We basically just said, geez, we've made so much money here. Bulls make money. Bears make money. Hogs get slaughtered. Next up, there's Visa. Now, this one's interesting. It's up 32% for the year. Okay, you can say that's nosebleed, but listen to this. It works for me. Why? Because Visa's stock is now down 7% from its high. I love the ones that are down 5 to 7. Always a great place to start. Here's a high-quality company that's part of a much-loved financial technology cohort. Much love, that is, until the month of September began. 
Visa is a well-run company. It seems to be, hate, uh, be having an excellent quarter. Now, there's been a rotation back into the big banks and out of the fintechs like Visa. But as we get closer to earnings season, I bet that rotation will reverse itself, even though I have to tell you that Charlie Scharf being hired by Wells Fargo was fantastic for Charlie and great for Wells Fargo, and that helped the banks move again today. Now, I love situations like Visa, though. You're getting a great spot to start a position. You're not buying at the high, and the fundamentals are good, and you're getting it nice enough off the, off the top that I feel it's a good place. Hey, six is United Technology. It's rallied 28% year-to-date. It's another ideal uh, selection. Off more than 5% from its highs. You know, I like that. Five to eight, okay? Despite what's increasingly looked like a brilliant decision by Greg Hayes to merge with Raytheon and then split into three new companies. I think the market is loving the prospect of a new pure-play aerospace and defense stock that's not named Boeing. So United Technologies is absolutely worth buying here. It's filled with positive catalysts. You start here, you start on Monday, and just some sort of ugliness, and you build your position. What else? Walmart's up 27% for the year, only down 1% from its high. Uh-uh. Might as well be Home Depot. To, to, it's, it's too, uh, I, I, it, to me, it's got to come down more. IBM's up 26% for the year, down 6% from its high. That is tricky. Because remember, we got that Red Hat acquisition. I have no edge. Now, unlike you just blew away the numbers. Sorry. Have to wait. Finally, how about this one? American Express. I think this is a terrific situation, maybe the best of all. You just, get a ten, you just got a 10% dividend boost with a buyback of 120 million shares. When you consider that Amex only has 829 million shares outstanding, it means they're purchasing, repurchasing 15% of the share count. Like Visa, American Express is a fintech play that's levered to small, medium-sized businesses with the stock at 13 times next year's earnings, down 8% from its highs. Ah, too good to ignore. See, that's the kind of thing. I just love that. If you're looking for the ideal kind of stock to start buying in this difficult environment, look no further than American Express. But don't forget, I think that Visa is really, really interesting here. And uh, no, you know what? Let's just stick with Express. I know it's hard to go through all those different ones, but AXP is the best one. And then Visa and then United Technologies. Stick with Kramer. One of the most emotional stocks in this market is a stock called Micron, and the stock went down a quick eight points. Why was that? Well, because a bunch of analysts bolted it between the age the uh, 49.51 level, and they reported they had a good quarter, but they gave you bad guidance. Now it's all the way back to 43. Everyone's panicking and thinking, oh, no, what I do next? Well, I've got an idea. I've been saying you buy a little bit here, buy a little bit at 40, buy a little bit at 38, and then get bigger at 35. That's how it works, people. I like to say, there's always a bull market somewhere. I promise I'd find it just for you right here on Bad Money. I'm Jim Cramer, and I will see you Monday. CNBC's Workforce Executive Council is a premier group of C-suite human resources executives from leading companies across the country. It offers a members-only portal and chat, plus exclusive industry content, with access to breaking news calls and digital networking experiences. The network and resources HR leaders need now. Apply to the Workforce Executive Council at cnbccouncils.com slash WEC.